Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Petrified, the horror fiction anthology podcast from a darker Ireland is back. Who's there? Petrified tells the chilling tales of ordinary people encountering the supernatural and their terrifying fates. Oh, dear God! Reverend Mother! CrimeReads.com said Petrified is extremely well written, expertly produced, and brilliantly acted. Don't leave me here! Petrified, Series 2, out now. Hi there and welcome to the Dublin Story Slam podcast. My name is Julian Clancy and I'm the producer of the Dublin Story Slam podcast. And incredibly, this Monday, we are going to be celebrating five years of the Dublin Story Slam, which kind of is like one of those things where you look at a child and next thing the child has turned into a small adult and it feels like only a few hours have slipped by. That's kind of how we're feeling as we enter into our fifth birthday uh, at the Dublin Story Slam. We are holding a special show on Monday, May 16th, and we're looking for stories inspired by the theme Milestones. So if you have your own personal story that you'd like to share with us, uh, just get in contact. Email us at info at thedublinstorieslam.com. Obviously, You need to be here in Dublin to tell your story, but that's pretty much the only condition uh, we have for telling a story. Anyways, on with today's episode. Uh, So we've had a few things kind of happen, slow us down. Uh, I got COVID and then Callum got COVID, our host, and then uh, my wife got COVID and then my daughter got COVID. So we've all been COVIDed, if that is a term that we can now use. That slowed everything down, messed everything up, threw all my timetables out the window. So apologies for the delay in coming back to you. Um, I've got three stories to make up for it though. They come from our one of our most recent storytelling nights. Uh, the theme was Blessings and Curses. Our first story uh, comes to us from Mary Kilduff. And Mary's story captures a wonderful image of Dublin bringing together two different uh, worlds, the, the modern and a very distant past. This is Mary Kilduff. So every Monday morning I go to a ballet class in Dance House. The classes are amazing. And this particular week was the first week where we didn't have to wear masks. So everyone was smiling at each other and performing and getting to know each other. It was beautiful and we learned this new routine and it was to Sleeping Beauty and it was like the really like fast busy bit and it was super high paced and everyone was really loving it. So I got dressed and I was leaving from the class and I headed out into the street and I opened up Spotify to put on the music to listen to it again to really just like embrace all the movement and try and remember the steps for the next week 
and I took my phone out of my pocket and it flew out of my hand onto the ground and not just onto the ground but onto a lovely street grate with the gaps in it and like a movie it landed tilted and fell straight in <laughs> and I was like staring at it like what do I do I'm gonna have to ring Dublin City Council but my phone's in there. <laughs> so then I looked around and I couldn't see anyone and I looked back down again and then I looked up and there was this woman coming towards me. And I was like, this is so embarrassing. My phone's after falling into the gutter. Can I use your torch? And she was like, yeah, I saw, that's crazy. And I was like, you saw? You weren't here a second ago. Um, so she turns her torch on and she shines it and it's like just this bottomless pit of like grease and dirt. And I'm like, oh, it's gone. And she said, no. I used to play with these when I was a kid. They actually open. And I was like, what? So we both grabbed a side and on the count of three, we lifted it up and it popped open. And then I was looking and it was like cigarette butts and just like dirt and grease all along the top. And I started like fishing that out of the way to see if it was bottomless or if there was like, like a level. And she was like, no, these actually do have a bottom to them. One sec. So she walks over to a Dublin city bin takes the bin bag out, there's a roll of bin bags actually at the bottom, pulls the bin bag off and she goes, put your arm in this. And I was like, okay. She was like, it's about elbow deep. We used to put stuff in these when I was a kid and then we'd fish it out and throw it at people. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So I put my arm in the bin bag, start reaching in. I get about to like here and I'm like, oh, something's gonna grab me. This is just gross. And she was like, no, keep going. So. I keep going and I finally feel the bottom and I'm like, oh my God. And she's like, yeah, just feel around. It's in there, it's in there. And I keep feeling around, still feeling something's gonna grab me and I find my phone. Wow. <laughs> I know, I know. And then I pull my phone out, my entire, it was like a blue bin bag. The entire bin bag was black and covered in grease and so was my phone. It was still working and still ready to play Sleeping Beauty. I go into dance house, clean the phone, cover it in hand sanitizer, and walk out listening to Sleeping Beauty. So my blessing was this sewer angel, as my friends have been calling her, of Talbot Street. And when I finally took the phone out, she was like, oh, I guess it pays off playing in these sewers as a kid. Thank you. Mary Kilduff, ladies and gentlemen. That was Mary Kilduff there with a story about the kind of slightly murkier, ickier side of Dublin, but ultimately coming out the better for it by holding on to her phone. And incredibly, Mary has held on to that phone. She still has the same phone. Um, it's been sterilised with sanitizer and lots and lots of soap. And you know what? It's actually probably cleaner than most people's phones. So, nice one, Mary. Our next storyteller is Aoife Nally. Now, Aoife is originally from Ontario in Canada, and she came up to us at the very end of one of our earlier evenings, and she was disappointed that she hadn't had a chance to share her story. So she mentioned that it involved her a, a relative, WB Yates, and, and something about ghosts. And so we were straight away right we got to come up with a theme where you can showcase a story. And so that's where the theme actually came from, Blessing and Curses. Now, Aoife is going to start the story and she'll reference a building 
that is directly across the road from the Sugar Club on Lower Leeson Street, just in the heart of Dublin. And that's the building where the story really starts. Okay, this is a crazy whirlwind story. Don't ask too many questions because there are probably about 15 different stories been told here and you could probably spend an hour listening to each one. So strap yourselves in and here is Aoife Nally. Um, so yeah, how do I start? Um, 103 Lower Leeson Street was my mecca. I waited years and years to come to this shitty address across the street. <laughs> And I, would, I got here for the commemorations in 2016 and went right there, right in that taxi. And I looked up at that window over the O'Brien sandwich shop, 103 Lower Leeson Street. And I'll tell you why. I had a great, great uncle, T.H. Nally, Thomas Hussein Nally, who worked in that window, that second story above that sandwich shop. And he was a brilliant man glasses, big moustache. He was an Edwardian gentleman, very, very poor, very threadbare. He was a, a biochemist. He worked at the hospital. And also, he was an Abbey Theatre playwright. Aha! <laughs> Hence the AIDS connection. And uh, the family story was that he wrote this play, the subversive, cursed, incredibly dark play about true events in County Mayo, 1777. Right, and in the family story, don't look for accuracy, I'm Irish, as all of you are, um, they, they said uh, he was rehearsing his play in the Abbey Theatre, 1916, April 24th, and uh, was the last one to leave and lock the door before the rising. And his play, The Spansel of Death, being produced by Lady Gregory and W.B. Yeats, was never seen. It was never seen, it was abandoned, and a lot of the actors went out to fight, to uprise, to be amazing and incredible. And because one of them returned to the theater, because they'd left their gun under the dressing room table, they returned one script to the Abbey Theater. So I came, 2016, you know, here I am, gonna discover my uncle. I'm a playwright too. And I will tell you this, the curse in the family um, has, is writ large over my life. I was writing my own play based on an ancient, ancient Greek magical papyri. And it took me seven to nine years of my life to write it. And I, I was in, into it, in depth with it. I had uh, a cast ready, thousands of dollars invested. I was in London, I had a West End premiere waiting to go. And on the night before, the night before um, we completed it, the composer and my collaborator and my best friend in the world passed into music and ascended. So he died the moment we wrote the last note of our musical together. Cursed. Oof. My play was, was left, considered a poison chalice. The producer left, the money left, everyone left. And I'm like, it's the family curse. So when I came here to 103 Leeson Street, I thought, maybe if I can break his curse, I can break my own. And if his play can come to life, maybe mine can be resurrected. So this was my, my state of being over there at the O'Brien sandwich shop. 
<laughs> so I met the Abbey Theater people. I walked in on that Easter Monday commemoration, and they had all these people there, all these. And they said, descendants only, you can't come in. I'm like, big yellow poster, Spansel of Death, T.H. Nelly, me, me, me. I'm a descendant, let me in. So they welcomed me with open arms and got me into the archives. And there I am to, to look at this, this notorious, this notorious play that I'd grown up um, and needing to see, compelled to see. Um, and I remember being in the archives looking at these onion skin papers, like crinkly yellow, covered in his, his red pen scrawl, all these cuts. And, and I start to read it. And the first thing he says is based on absolute fact. My great great uncle, says my great great uncle, discovered this curse and was part of this story. So I'm looking at him in 1916. He's looking at 1777. You know? It's <laughs> like, oh, some kind of Celtic knotwork is happening here. I start to read the play, and my lovely uncle, he's so proper, he's so Edwardian. And it's this Mayo superstition, and he comes from Baal. I know these, that everything is true. And I start to read these stories of these women doing black magic with old books and corpses being defiled and anti-crucifixions. And I thought, I have to put on this play. <laughs> Everyone who had tried in the last hundred years had failed. No one had done it word for word ever, ever, ever. I, I have letters from my uncle to Yates going, put it on, put it on. Someone has to see this play. And he goes, it's too sad, Thomas. No one needs this. We've had a rising. <laughs> and I have letters to my producer who's looking at my play going, it's too sad. He's died. Nobody wants it. And I'm like, Okay, we're putting it on. I took a picture of every page. I went back to London. I gathered all the Irish actors I knew, and I got a grant out of nowhere. I got money, so a blessing. <laughs> but the blessing was for an abandoned Victorian music hall in the Jack the Ripper territory. <laughs> One of the scariest places you can go in London, deep in the East End. So these actors and I, we had four days, four days to break this curse, and they knew it. The tension in the room was palpable. <laughs> we, start, we start speaking the language and the Gaelic, and, and it's written in a dialect. It's so, it's so wonderful. But the actors are getting really jumpy. And one of the, the, the lad playing the, the village idiot starts bringing a rosary in. And he starts putting up pictures of Angel Gabriel on the window. <laughs> and every once in a while, he'd be like, this is the day that the Lord has made. Like, OK, we're fine, we're fine. We can hold this. The woman playing the witch starts taking a lot of liquid courage in the corner, and I'm like, okay, no, we're fine. We can hold this together. We gotta break this curse. <laughs> we just gotta do it. And, uh, and, and the man playing the priest, who's meant to like hold it all together and break the curse within the play, comes in on the last day, the fourth day before the show goes up and has a nervous breakdown in the room. There's been a, a general election, a Tory landslide, the DUP are doing something, and he, the man, <laughs> melts down, walks out, and he has never acted again. Actually, most of the cast has never acted again. <laughs> but the show went on, the show went on. And, and it was the night of, I redirected it in two hours, and the, the noise in the room, every time we said 1777, a sound like a, a finger on a wine glass would come through the room. And things started falling off the mantelpiece, and glasses on the props table start falling over, and there's a restlessness in the room. And I thought, oh no, oh no, why is this play cursed? Because it's filled with women, women who did black magic out of desperation, and they were defiled and dishonored, and they were hurt. We need to honor these women. 
So I sent out my stage manager. I went, get whiskey, get flowers, get bribery, get every beautiful thing you can do. We have to, we have to invite these women to the play. So we set up three chairs for the three women that were died, defiled, abused, and uh, two ushers to give them anything they wanted. And we got through the play. I knew when we got through the, four, the first four words, we would get to the end. And there was this amazing feeling of relief and joy and peace came over when the play was complete. But the audience left bloodless and silent at the end. They'd seen corpses peeled and people cursed and the priests lost and the witches won. And they walked out like, oh. And I had to get up because there was no applause. And I said, curse is broken. You can go home. And here we are today and you're asking, well, is my curse broken? Did my play go on? Has my writing continued? And I'd like to say the blessing of today is I've been brought here by a writing group in Dublin. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I thought I couldn't write again. And I thought, if, if I write, people die. It was just, you know, the madness of grief, you know? And uh, I'm blessed here to be here with these wonderful writers. I'm writing, I'm performing for you tonight, and nobody seems to be dying. So, curse broken! <laughs> Thank you. Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> Eva Nali, ladies and gentlemen. That was Eva Nali there, and I really want to see that play. Obviously, the Grand Slam is held in the Abbey Theatre. It is a place that is very close to everybody's hearts, but I think that's, it sounds like it's almost like the spiritual home for Aoife's uh, play. So I don't know, maybe one day and we'll be able to get to see it. Um, but let's get on with our third and final story of the evening. Uh, we're going to take a quick break first. But before I do so, I just want to ask, um, because we're celebrating our fifth birthday party, and this could be going out to past listeners or past visitors to the show, past listeners to previous stories, we are looking for your own little memories of the Dublin Story Slam over the years. Maybe you were at a show and you got up and told a story. Maybe you met somebody in the queue outside. Uh, or maybe you just heard a story on the podcast and it stopped you what you were doing and had a massive impact. Whatever it is. Uh, we would love for you to, to share them with us. Info at the Dublin Story Slam.com if you have any little memories, any little nuggets that you'd like to share with us. And yeah, we will we'll, we'll just enjoy them and share them on the night on May 16th. Okay, let's uh, return with an amazing, brilliant uh, story to close off this episode of the Dublin Story Slam podcast. But first, let's take a short break. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget? Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we are back. Our final storyteller of this episode of Blessings and Curses is a story that comes from Sharon Mannion. And this is a story for anybody who as a child maybe had a talent or a skill or, you know, a little party piece that just wouldn't let go of them. Not that they wouldn't let go of it. It, it just, it followed them around. If you know what I'm talking about, then yeah, the story will resonate with you. If you don't, then stick around because it's a really funny story. This is Sharon Mannion. So uh, I was uh, a very nervous, uh, cautious child. You know, I was full of anxiety. I worried a lot about the end of the world. Um, Used to dream about meteorites falling from the sky. Uh, The third secret of Fatima was a big concern. (laughs) Still would, still would kind of like to know what that was about. But anyway, uh, so just generally very cautious, very nervous. Uh, didn't like getting into trouble. Um, I once cried for a week when I said shit by accident. <laughs> so, you know, I was just, I, I, I was a bit of a loser. <laughs> um, I felt uh, nice that you agree with me. But anyway, um, <laughs> But I, that all changed when I discovered that I could play the tin whistle. Now, I know you're thinking everybody can play the tin whistle, but I could play it really good. Uh, I could play it by ear. I could play anything. My parents were really impressed. Uh, I was wheeled out whenever an aunt or uncle came within a five-mile radius of the house. Like, it was just, bring her out. She can play anything. You know, that was... So I loved it, obviously, uh, for, you know... I had spent my life thus far as a loser, and now I was somebody, you know? Uh, So this was a really big deal. Now, of course, I should have stopped there, uh, but I didn't. I got greedy, and I decided I'd learn to play the button accordion. Uh, I don't know what it was about the button accordion that appealed to me. I still wonder a lot, um, but I had my heart set on this, and I thought, you know, if I get this kind of attention for the tin whistle, the fuck is going to happen when I play the button accordion? (laughs) Like... This shit is going to go insane, you know? (laughs) So I pestered my parents, and they got me a button accordion, but unfortunately, I wasn't very good at it. Um, I was terrible. I was very nervous playing it. Um, Couldn't remember tunes, nothing. Uh, My my palms would sweat so much that my fingers would slip off the buttons (laughs) when I played. It was a mess. But uh, I was... Like at this point, I was just high on the attention, so it was totally undeterred. I entered into a competition. 
Uh, and this was to be a solo, it was a solo music category. So it would be me on my own with this accordion that I couldn't play. Uh, but I mean, at this point I was deranged. So I was just like, <laughs> get me out there. I can do it, you know. Uh, so the night arrived and um, I, was, I was ready, I was at the side of the stage and I'd practiced the tune, the Kerry Polka, and uh, I was like really, you know, feeling great. And I walked out on stage, uh, the MC called my name, on I went, and nothing. Total, yeah, total blank. Um, my parents were in the front row, I remember looking at them. I mean, they were looking at me with, I suppose in hindsight was probably concern, but at the time, <laughs> um, felt like extreme disappointment. <laughs> uh, just nothing. I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't remember the tune. I couldn't remember. I may as well have been holding a banjo. I just couldn't. <laughs> nothing. Uh, eventually, you know, I kind of went, eh, eh, um, and walked off. I still don't know if the noise came from me or the accordion. It was just like... Uh, so from then on, I mean, it, obviously, it, like I was devastated completely, and I basically decided, like, that the accordion had me cursed. Like, as far as I was concerned, it was not my fault. Um, you know, there was two of us up there that night, and I, <laughs> I did everything I could have done. <laughs> um, so the blame lay squarely with the accordion. So. That was it. Uh, but, but unfortunately, you know, I had kind of become known as the accordion player. Like people, <laughs> in rural Ireland at that point, like people got very excited about somebody who had a button accordion. So I was kind of like the Macaulay Culkin of the button accordion world. So it was like, I felt like people didn't want to be friends with me. They just wanted to see the accordion kind of thing. So I'd have to play it in the Wren Boys and I'd have to, you know, always bring it. And I hated the feckin' thing and I could never play it. And this kind of continued on, like into even into my teenage years and early uh, late teens and stuff. And so, anyway, to move the story on a bit, cut a long story short. So, in my late teens, early twenties, I was had moved to Dublin and I was trying to be an actor, um, and uh, failing. <laughs> uh, so, I was trying to get cast in plays and stuff. I wanted to do theatre, and it just wasn't happening, you know. And uh, then I, um, so I was thinking of giving it up or whatever. And I got this call to do. A three, it was a three-month tour around Europe. And I was like, oh, this is brilliant, you know, this could be um, my dream. But they had heard that I played the accordion. <laughs> <laughs> and they wanted me to bring it. Uh, so, of course, I agreed, because I'm a fucking Egypt, but uh, <laughs> I spent three months in misery around Europe, just trying, to, like, in agony, going, uh, making mistakes and just dreading my accordion solo each night. And... Horrendous. Came home, I got another show, offered another show up north, Oh What a Lovely War, which if you know the piece, it's, it's about the First World War. So I thought, well, there won't be any accordions in that. <laughs> Fuck no, there's, um, <laughs> there's a big French number at the end, Adieu, la vie. And they were like, oh, the accordion, it'd be great in that. I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> so another, you know, nine week tour of misery, just, you know, making mistakes. So I just was like, what am I going to do with this? This accordion, I'm, I, I was, felt like I was in an abusive relationship with this accordion. Like, I couldn't kind of break away. So I thought, I st at that point I had started writing. So and this is where my story kind of uh, morphs into Aoife, Aoife's one, although less um, weird shit, but um, <laughs> less scary, scary weird shit, I mean. Uh, thankfully, but... Uh, 
So I started writing a play, and I wrote a play about my accordion, and I called it The Curse of the Button Accordion. And initially I wrote it just because I really liked the way you write about an ex. I was like, ah, so angry with you. <laughs> You've ruined my life. And then, uh, but actually through writing it, um, it, I, it was actually quite a cathartic experience. And I sort of realized that actually I'd had a lot of anxiety as a child that maybe I hadn't properly kind of dealt with. And maybe if I was a psychologist, I'd say that I had put my anxiety in the accordion. <laughs> and I kind of needed to metaphorically smash it open, um, which I almost physically did a couple of times. But so I, um, the play did really well for me. I toured it all over the place and, and I made a radio play and it won some awards and stuff. And throughout the process, I kind of had to face you know, my fears about the end of the world and all of that. Um, and I learned to appreciate the accordion. And whilst I still can't say that we, I love the accordion, I feel um, grateful that the accordion came into my life and uh, created an avenue for me to kind of deal with maybe a lot of shit that I hadn't dealt with. So I don't really worry about the end of the world anymore. I used to worry about ISIS there for a while, uh, but <laughs> that seems to be grand now. So uh, that's it. Thank you. That was Sharon Mannion there, who was our winner of the Blessing and Curses Story Slam. So the next time I see Sharon, uh, I think I might just have to actually ask her to play the accordion for us. Because, you know what, I guarantee you she's probably absolutely amazing playing the instrument. But Sharon has many other talents, uh, which includes emceeing the Comedy Cellar, which is one of Dublin's longest-running comedy nights. If you're ever in the city and you're visiting, uh, check it out. It takes place in the International Bar, or you can find the Comedy Cellar on Instagram and Facebook and all the usual spots. Assuming, of course, that you're not coming along to the Dublin Story Slam. Um, just a reminder, it is May 16th. Uh, tickets went on sale. They were all gone in about an hour. Okay, so yes, it was kind of nuts. It was crazy. But we are still looking for storytellers. It's May 16th. The theme is milestones. So if you have your own personal milestone, maybe something private that you maybe you've never shared with anybody before, or maybe it's something huge and public like a wedding anniversary or a big birthday that you want to tell a story about, then we would love to hear from you. Email us at info at the Dublin Story Slam dot com. Thanks a million for listening uh, to the Dublin Story Slam podcast. Make sure to follow us on uh, Instagram at Dublin Story Slam uh, for pictures from the night. We have a wonderful photographer who takes photographs of all of our storytellers and uh, captures a little bit of the magic. And uh, yeah, just a little way to kind of stay in touch with our community. So at Dublin Story Slam uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Okay, thanks a million for listening. We will talk to you on the next episode of the Dublin Story Slam podcast. Bye. The Dublin Story Slam podcast is part of The Warren, the home of great Irish podcasts. As is my podcast, Meet Your Maker. You'll find loads of great shows at thewarren.ie.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.